They have minds, and they have souls, and they've got ambition, and they've got talent, as well as just beauty. And I'm so sick of people saying that love is just all a woman is fit for. I'm so sick of it. And we're back! Let's see if I can avoid being sick anymore. Welcome to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar giving the full Oscar Sprint Profile breakdown to Greta Gerwig's Little Women, which will probably be your last MMO episode of 2019. Uh, everybody else is doing best of the decade stuff. We are two large men talking about little women. I am your co-host, Mike Wan. This is co-host also Mike. Michael, how are you? Also Mike here. I'm glad you're feeling better, number one. <laughs> it's uh, been a joke. But I was kind of glad you were sick because here's what happened. Okay. I watched like all of these little women movies and I fell in love with the story. And if you were not sick and we were pumping out episodes, I wouldn't have had the opportunity to do this. And I discovered this whole new property that I'm, I'm really into now. And I don't know if my tone of voice is going to turn people off <laughs> because I'm like one of many bandwagoners that I found right now on the internet that we both commented on in the pre-show today. There's like all these white guys. They're, oh, they're all white. It's unbelievable. And they're all guys. And they're all just like talking. Talking in this tone of voice, yeah, and about Little Women, we joined that parade, and it's it's un we got to get more females in the space <laughs> because trying to look up reviews to just like have ideas bounce off of and talk about it's all white guys talking about this movie out there on the internet. So uh, we're unfortunately going to add to that perspective today. <laughs> I apologize, <laughs> but that's who we are. But this is Mike, Mike, and Oscar. This is the Oscar Spring profile of Greta Gerwig's Little Woman. Like I said, if you've not joined us before for an OSP, an Oscar Spring profile, what they are are two reviews for the price of one. We give uh, would-be, should-be, and will-be Oscar contenders, and this one already has some big nominations to its name. The full breakdown, we hold it up to an Oscars lens, and it's broken down into two parts. The first part is all spoiler-free, non-spoiler edition. We talk about the performances, the box office, all that fun stuff. Uh, so if you've not seen the movie yet, you're in a safe space here. We will have a spoiler warning halfway through. The second half of every OSP review, uh, that's where we talk about the plot, the character developments, etc., etc. It's all spoilers in the second half, so if you've seen the movie already, you're wondering about our uh, thoughts on the plot, that's going to be in the spoilers section. If you've not seen the movie, if you're wondering about the performances, the Oscar lens, and all that fun stuff, that's going to be in the non-spoiler half. You're in a good spot here. Michael, let's start talking about Greta Gerwig's Little Women. Yeah, cast and crew, kind of an old school cast and crew segment for us today because so many great characters, so many great actors mm. here. Uh, I want to make mention of three other movies and three other versions of Little Women that I watched. So, obviously, written and directed by Lady Berg's. Lady Berg's? Yeah. Or Lady Bird's <laughs> Greta Gerwig. Uh, it, it also stars uh, Lady Bird herself, Sir Sharon, and as Joe March. Mike, she is the second eldest of the four March girls. I think in the book, she's by far the tallest of these little women. <laughs> Catherine Hepburn was Joe in 1933. A 32-year-old June Allison, I'll, I'll say that again later on. <laughs> a 32-year-old June Allison played this part in 1949 opposite Elizabeth Taylor. And then Winona Ryder. Out of those names, Mike, Renona Ryder was Oscar-nominated for this in 94. Yeah, and for as many adaptations of this movie as we had, we run the risk right now. I like Renona Ryder, but we run the, we're on the verge of Winona Ryder being the lone Oscar-nominated Joe March out of any of these adaptations. And there's a very cynical backstory for that casting as well. Yeah. Because it was like, we're not going to do this movie unless Winona Ryder... But Winona Ryder's available? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it was it was like that Family Guy skit as that cynical. Because <laughs> all these guys who are in charge didn't want to make this movie in 94 and it was a huge hit obviously but they only did it because she loved the book they didn't do it because of christian bell's hair 
they should have done it because of Christian Bale's hair. That's a good point. All right. Well, speaking of Christian Bale, yeah. Timothy Chalamet is the Lawrence boy next door in this film, a.k.a. Laurie, a.k.a. Teddy. Bale played him in 94. The other guys that played Laurie, my mother thought were attractive when she was growing up, and she kept making weird comments about them during uh, my time with her watching Yeah, so we're going to move on quickly from this. Yeah, we are. All right. Laura Dern is Marmy, <laughs> a.k.a. Mrs. March. Susan Sarandon was the mid-'90s Marmy. If I walked into a house, Michael, and the matriarch of the establishment said, hey, call me Marmy, I am immediately turning around and walking out of that house, and that'll be the last time I see that house. I picture, like, somebody in a Monty Python voice saying it. Call me <laughs> I wrote down in my notes, I was taking notes as I was watching this, I was like, oh, she wants people to call her mommy. That's, I guess, fine. Not no, the case. It's Marnie, yeah. and it, it is the kind of cutesy little nugget there and, and character name that, like, turned me away from this property for years. Now, when you say cutesy... <laughs> Florence Pugh is this year's Amy. Like I said, Elizabeth Taylor was probably the most famous Amy from 1949. Not big shoes to fill at all. Right. Uh, Kirsten Dunst played Amy as a small child in the 94 version. She was recast with Christian Bale's, one of her, one of his co-stars from American Psycho, later in the film. So it was a different way to do it. Florence Pugh plays both roles here. Yeah, whether sisters, boyfriends, or mother and father, Florence Pugh's had a hell of a 2019 fighting with her family. The eldest March sister is played by Hermione herself in this one, uh, Emma Watson. Uh, the most famous Meg, I think, has got to be 1949's Janet Lee, yeah. Jamie Lee Curtis's marm. <laughs> if I ever get exiled from this podcast and it's your mother that has to take over, I demand you name this Mike Marmon Oscar. It's so bad. I'm mad at the both of us right now. All right, from Sharp Objects, Eliza Scanlon plays Beth. And uh, though I think there were better Beths, uh, in the past, uh, I will say you got to watch the '94 version. I keep mentioning the '94 version, but you got to watch that because of Claire Danes' ugly crying. I'm gonna start ugly crying if we don't wrap this up soon. <laughs> American Beauties. Chris Cooper plays the huggable Grandpa Lawrence, and Bob freaking Odenkirk. Michael plays Papa Mark, aka Darty, of course. Mike, if I were to give you a mm. guess mm. as to which movie in 2019 Bob Odenkirk is going to appear in two thirds of the way through, how <laughs> high on your list would Little Women have been? It would have been the lowest. <laughs> I was shocked! Well, I mean, the obvious answer would have been El Camino. I mean, <laughs> right, exactly, yes! Yeah. He would have been, He would show up in El Camino. If you asked me that leading question as a lawyer who understands leading questions, that would have been my answer. But... I literally, my mom was like, oh, Kirk! <laughs> What are you doing here? It was very, it was bizarre. Yeah. It was bizarre. Yeah. I, I would agree. Uh, Tracy Letts from Lady Bird plays the publisher, Mr. Da Dashwood. And arguably his greatest performance to date. <laughs> he's pretty great. I was, I, he killed me. He's been, he's having a great year. Yeah, he is. Uh, and James Norton plays John Brooke. Not to be confused with Jim Norton, who of course played a poor version of Don Rickles in The Irishman. Yes, not to be confused with either one of those short, <laughs> bald, fat comedians. Correct. Who, who we kind of like. <laughs> in the past. All right. Anyway, Louis Garel is Frederick Bayer. And jokes were made to his tribute, I would say, 
by Isabella on the Be Kind Rewind uh, YouTube channel there. want to shout her out. She did a spectacular job while making it like a 25-minute video comparing the themes of all four iterations or adaptations mm-hmm. of this story on screen over time. I think she did a fantastic job. Uh, also... We have somebody very famous in the Aunt Marge role. Meryl Streep is Aunt Marge. Yeah. Tell them Large Marge sent you. How many times was that line going through your head watching this movie? Every time they said Aunt Marge. Why did they make Meryl Streep up to look like an actual ghost? I mean, her makeup was just horrid. She was the only one wearing it. She's looking a little Jacob Marley. You're not yeah, wrong. so they're going right into the season of the uh, the, the Christmas Carol here. <laughs> All right, Michael, Little Women has 95% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes with a 91 meta score and audience ratings of an 8.2 on IMDb and 92% on RT. Yeah, audiences on Post Track gave it a 5 out of 5. Those audiences were also pulled as being 5 out of 5 short ladies. And one Italian man. <laughs> Fair enough, Mike. Uh, little Woman has made $6.4 million from its day. Debut on Christmas Day, six million the day after that. It's made twenty-four million stateside thus far through the Christmas weekend. It's doing quite well for itself. Very well, very well. It's going to double up its budget probably yeah. by the end of next week. Right. Uh, plot premise reads: Four sisters come of age in America in the aftermath of the Civil War. Yeah, I think that's you know everybody knows the story of Little Women. Have you read the original or listened to the Louisa May Alcott version? All right. So long story short, this is an unlikely obsession for me, but I. I knew it was coming. My mother's always been a huge fan. I was going on the Frakes on Film podcast, right? Yes. 94's Little Women was what we chose because of Greta Gerwig's you know, movie coming out. And, God uh, bless you two for having to stomach that. Well, the whole premise of his show is that he does movies that have been recommended to him over and over again. And I, I said I was curious to watch A Little Women when we were talking about what movies have been recommended to me. So and we have to start recommending the house that Jack built to him, is what you're saying? Just just to see what happens. I don't even want to wish that. He, the house that Jack built, the painted bird, right. or right. Henry Portrait of a Serial Any Killer. Of those right. But I think you also dared me to read all of the source materials for Best Adapted Screenplay, whoever gets nominated this year. You dared me last year. I'm I was com- going to say, I don't remember that, but sure. I'm a competitive person. Okay. I took it as a dare. <laughs> anyway, I've read The Irishman, I've read Jojo Rabbit, i read Little Women, and I hated it. I hated this really? audiobook. I would perk up every now and again, but I was zoning in and out. I, ha- I struggled so hard with this. Okay. Is the audiobook, is the source material, because this was a conversation I took my mother as well. We were actually thinking about having our mothers on for this podcast because we knew this was something we were going to go see with them and then I got sick. Right. But my mother seems to think that the source material isn't actually about the writing of the book as this movie purports it Correct. to be. So the book, the actual negotiation of the book has nothing to do with the real book of Little Women, correct? Correct. She okay. is negotiating different things. Like okay. She, like uh, magazine articles and then... Mr. Uh, Bayer, Professor Bayer, mm-hmm. is kind of working on her behalf and other versions of the film. I don't remember the book that well because I, I just could not pay attention. Right. So wasn't uh, a big hit for you. It was not a big hit so for me. So knowing that, did you have expectations for this to enjoy this? No. I was go- well, here's the thing. I was I went into the 94 version. I had a lot of fun reviewing it with Ryan. The first time I watched 94, I hated it. Again, <laughs> you hated don't it. say. <laughs> I didn't even realize I didn't even think enough of it to look it up and yeah. see if it was an Oscar nominee. Like, I just assumed it was not nominated for any Oscars. Hated it. Now, right before I hit record with Ryan, I watched it again, and I found, like, a bunch of things that I started to warm to. Which happens when you did you heavily dislike a film that's actually pretty critically praised. Not so that, just you in general. I mean, everybody. That so happens. that was good. And I had, I had very low expectations going into this watch. I took my mom to see it day after Christmas. Right. 
and we both loved it. I think I loved it, and she was a little more hesitant to oh, really? love it. Huh. But she was talking my ear off to and from, basically giving me lectures on the old films. So what do I do the next two days? I watch 1933. I watch 1949. I go see it another two more times over the ne- over the week this past weekend. So I've just been consumed. You know, with this. go ahead, finish the sentence. You've been consumed by Little Women. You I've gross, been... <laughs> gross pervert. <laughs> I've been consumed with this story, Michael, in this world, and it's obsessed me. I can't believe it. Somebody I've on been obsessed with the Little Women. Somebody, there's, this is going to be a terrible episode for <laughs> These us. These women. <laughs> Somebody on on film Twitter made the point. Uh, why is Little Women this good? This movie has no right to be this good. Mm. I couldn't agree more with that assessment. I had the lowest of low expectations. I expected to be bored. I, I love Greta Gerwig. I love Saoirse Ronan. Florence Pugh. I mean, my oh lord. My but, I, you know, I like the cast. I just, I was not ready or expecting or willing to think that this could be something that appeals to me. Uh, I did watch the 94 one, or at least pieces of it, you know, back in 94, 95, and Mm. I was a little kid back then, so I didn't know what the hell I was doing, and I just hated it. I remember being bored out of my mind. Uh, So I thought this was going to be more of the same. My God, was this movie surprisingly great, and I'm shocked at how much I loved it. I It makes me giddy in my very cynical, meta-thinking mind right. that everybody works so hard on their best of the films of the decade list and best of 2019 list, and they rush to get those out before the end of the year, <laughs> and then something like this drops on Christmas Day with six days left in the decade, and now people have to rewrite all their stuff and work this in somehow. I think this is that good. I think this is a great movie. I, I totally agree. It's the pleasant surprise of the year for yeah. me. It's going to get a very high grade at the end of this. But there's a lot that goes behind this gushing. And yes. We, we want to explain ourselves. So let's start with a review. No, I don't want to explain. That's it. Episode <laughs> over. <laughs> These little women. This is so good. Oh, no. <laughs> All right. Let's start talking about it, Michael. Yeah. Production values, uh, costumes. I mean, look, they're worked into the plot. You got slippers, scarves, dresses, rings. These costumes are crucial to the actual storytelling and characterization they're crucial to the themes about classism the money and the economics are a factor here how these characters fit into the different social workings of one sequence to the next how meg is being chirped at by the other girls at the debutante ball to you know how different characters are picking up clothes at the uh, depot there where marmy works Mike, you're getting characterization through these costumes. Yeah, you kind of hit on it. I mean, Meg is pretty much personified or constituted on her admiration and allure to fancier dress Mm -hmm. and how she sees herself and what she's actually able to do in her kind of entire being. Not to say that, you know, she's just a girl that's obsessed with consumerism, but she puts a lot of thought and care into being kind of the fashionista. That's how she wants to do with her life growing up and that she's stuck in the circumstance later on. And it's all built on her reception and allure to materialism and what she can do and how she sees herself as a status symbol with it as vis-a-vis her ability to have these material goods in costumes and in fabric in fabric so it's right it's really amazing how Greta Gerwig was able to kind of personify one character who really didn't get a ton of screen time for Emma Watson being in here I was kind of surprised that I would think she was like maybe the fourth most important sister to the story exactly but it, she was constituted well with her allure to the fashion world through these costumes I, I think it's, it's a very important storyline as a, as a C plot as a D plot yeah. to just alright let's spend three quick scenes yeah. with Meg and let's talk about the economics of the day and how you know these small households have to have to work and then let's also characterize Meg as an older sister yeah. giving her younger sister a glove 
in a, in, a, in a scene where basically, you know, if the younger sister's at the ball without a glove, she looks like a harlot. Right, you know, right, right. Because that was the, you know, taboo back then. It's explained more, I think, in the older versions of the movie because society was more haughty back then, you know, and just in general, and it was expected. Yeah, consumerism just, wasn't yeah. treated with the sarcasm it is. You know, we didn't have the proper lens. We were the culture was obsessed and sucked up into it. There's also some modernism here uh, and in oh, a refreshing yeah. way. Sir Ronan and Timothy Chalamet actually shared costumes and they insisted that the costume designers design Sir Sir some clothes from Timothy and Timothy they wanted to do this on purpose. This was uh, absolutely to talk, you know to show Laurie as a more bohemian figure. This was absolutely because they wanted to emphasize gender fluidity in, in a certain way and how these two were friends and all that's very important well gender fluidity I mean, that kind of jumps off the screen but it's also the personification of the characters with laurie is this very well-to-do kind of laissez-faire devil may care maybe a little more of a feministic man and joe is what would be probably described more recently as a tomboy type girl i mean that, that works i don't know if it was during one of my mom's lectures or and she gave some great lectures i was riveted <laughs> but or it was actually in the book again i don't know where the book ends and my mom begins <laughs> probably my life story of my life but mike in the book i think they talk about joe and Lori playing together like puppies yeah, i think that makes sense and that's how they play that's yeah. how they, they were very playful in that way so it wasn't just that they're both show folk right that they're both bohemian sensibilities but they actually play like little kids and i, I thought that was very very fun and it and it matters because they have these ridiculous costumes while they do it yeah and i want uh timothy chalamet and saoirse ronan just to be in everything forever i just they're want so them to be in the room with me. right they're i like awesome. it forget about being in my movies but just be in the room <laughs> just somewhere. hang out just with go me. hang out here and play <laughs> and i will be happier for it yeah they're well, awesome they all right great so chemistry makeup and hairstyling mike i uh i think it's been a bad year for de-aging just a really bad year for de-aging the irishman was terrible whatever effects they used in this movie were terrible florence Pugh, she's an old soul and the yes. worst thing about this movie to me i know her for being mature beyond her years right. in roles of the last two years i mean she's in that suffocating and machiavellian role lady Macbeth, right whatever whatever you call that movie i don't know how to characterize that movie that movie's nuts all right Obviously, Midsommar has a whole other, you know... Also nuts. <laughs> yeah, a whole other description, hyperbolic description that you can go for that. We've also seen her wrestle in WWE. So, knowing her filmography, she cannot play a 13 to 17-year-old girl for me. It's it's a rough... The way Greta Gerwig decided to pen the, this version of this movie is she's jumping back and forth in the timeline. So, it's so it really, didn't bother you as much? It didn't. I mean, I never really gave it much thought until I read your notes. I was like, oh, yeah, that kind of does make sense. But you're right. If I, if I were to see her as... To me, she was always Florence Pugh, just with different hairstyles. There's no length of bangs that right. could make her a 13-year-old girl. Right. Because I, I just know she's 20. I, I was much more forgiving of it because I, I guess I didn't really, you know... Well, I'm glad. It's a seven-year jump, so I can... I could look My mom, stuff. it didn't worry my mother either. It, to me, I was just like, come Couldn't on. get past it, She's yeah. the May Queen. What's yeah. going on? All right. Uh, <laughs> anything else on the hairstyling, makeup? I mean, is it Oscar-worthy, or these are just young, beautiful people with great hair? I thought they did a great job to work the comedy of the hair into the script itself. I thought that was very well done. I thought it was very well done the way they played it off, too, because Florence Pugh is 
routinely and consistently looks like amazing with her hair and these perfect braids and pigtails and all this stuff and then she's making fun of the more homely looking uh Saoirse Ronan character who, uh, who ends up actually cutting her hair off at one point and the comedy's made from that uh do I think it's Oscar level no but I'd like the way it was working with the script nonetheless and there's something too mm-hmm. little women having an attachment to their own hair for Christ's sake there's something to it, it, it again it's a production value that factors heavily right. into the plot Here's something that I do think is Oscar worthy because they recreated the March House. They were on location, and the set designers were going ham. Uh, look beautiful. Creating this production design, Mike. I mean, look. I, on the one hand, I think it's dense. I think there's there's little you know talisman all over every single shot. I mean, it looks like a lived-in bedroom or yeah. Joe's writing room, etc. It really looks lived in and beautiful. Yeah, and there's other... I don't know where they found these sets, but there's scenes with rolling hills, and you're clearly in New England with the fall aesthetic that's in the background, and they did a great job to kind of make you in this place in time, and it it looks quite like exactly where we should be for this time period. I thought it was beautiful myself. And it looks like where we are, essentially. Yeah, Yeah, it it reminded me. Yeah, I mean, it reminded me of home. It looks like my hometown. I I grew up near a tree farm and a pumpkin Mm -hmm. patch. Uh, I walk my dog on these mountain trails, and when you finish the mountain trail, you overlook a big rolling hill like the one that Joe and Lori were on. And going to that park, you actually drive past a lot of houses that look like the houses in this movie. So to me, I'm around this a lot. This is home. Yeah, this is is very appealing to us. I, I was shocked to relate to this movie on so many levels, but it... I mean, I'm the oldest of five boys. I grew up in New England in a place just like this. Aspiring writer. Forget all these women who love little women. <laughs> like, this movie was tailor-made for a guy like me, too. I yeah, mean, I'm shocked. It's one of the, well, that's one of the, the pieces that's so alluring about this. It's just that Greta Gerwig's able to make this script that's so appealing to, to people, guys like us, who have, you know, how can we relate to these characters? Well, she finds a way. Well, here's the problem. Every, every book that was judged by its cover by me as a teenager... Right. <laughs> Is now you're I, having I second re- thoughts. I have yeah. second thoughts about it. But uh, look, so watch the 49 version in particular for the production design. 94 also looks gorgeous. Again, you got stunning natural settings in the last two versions of this. 49, there's some just great old Hollywood sets. I mean, you could tell it's a set, right? But it's still just as colorful and luscious as you've seen as anything you've seen in that quote unquote Technicolor. It's really awesome. And that's not the Audrey Hepburn one either, surprisingly. You, correct. Yeah. I, but even though I like that set as well but that's black and white right. for 1933. All right, so cinematography editing before we get to score here. Look, I'm a fan of the cinematography, but I don't think it's as strong. Yeah, I shrug on both of those. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. They did a great job, fine enough job. I don't think in the year where we have standout cinematography and editing, this doesn't rise to the level for me. Edit, the only thing I notice about editing is the bad edit that I thought a key scene had. Agree 100%. And again, this goes back to the timeline Gerwig does a fantastic job playing with this timeline, and she doesn't really ever tell you where you are. I think she only does twice, where she says, like, seven weeks before or something like that. Otherwise, you it's on your own to keep up, and she does a quite commendable job, I thought, and mm-hmm. it makes it pretty clear for us to keep up with. But there is one, and I'll get to it in spoilers, it's probably the worst of the movie. It's such a radical tonal shift that I'm like... Wait, 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 what the hell? What? What's going on? Are we in real life? What's happening? And it's bad. I'll, it's, it's, it goes down to the level of poor. For it's, me. It struck me the same yeah. way. And I think it was ambitious. Yes. On the one hand, I like certain things about that sequence. We'll get into it. But, but it's overall, a, she did a good job yes. with it, All which right. is no easy task. 
I really love the score here. This score was outstanding. And I think the score, is when it's blared at the end of the movie, it's done for some comic value, which I think is deliberate, on purpose, and just kudos to her for that for that audacity. We have so many different levels of what's going to be treated as the score as well. You said it's used for comedic effect. Obviously, it's used for setting as any great score is, but we start off with this like big orchestral number. There's certain attachments you get when there's just a singular piano playing to certain characters and how Mm -hmm. that's worked in. It happens a couple times. There's this harp setting, this string setting of just that score, and it's not the same score to me. I thought it was a different song kind of every time, which... I'm not used to. I'm used to, again, the effective score being kind of that one song played in different ways. Richard Jewell did this a couple times. Sure. uh, Where they did the song a different way. This one seemed like it was a different song each time played with various different instruments, different string instruments, different horn instruments. And the piano, again, we're talking about things that kind of work their way into the plot. There's a piano that plays a very big role into the plot. And when that piano is being featured between the two characters it's most featured between... It's we have a singular piano playing the background of it and setting the mood. So a very effective job. I thought this was one of the more surprising scores of the year for me, and I, I absolutely loved it. It did make the short list, so that's good. So we'll, we'll see if it uh, finds its way. It's a tough year for scores. Yeah, it's a really is. crowded field. Yeah. Uh, I do want to get into the characters now, talk about the performances. We kind of uh, spoke about Florence Pugh already. Here's the main question I want to ask about Florence Pugh, because in my opinion, older Amy... All the scenes as older Amy are spectacular. I mean, she is just cutting me down. I am just, I'm electrified Mm. watching each one of those scenes with Timothy Chalamet and Meryl Streep. Mm -hmm. I I can't get over it. It's it's some of her best work in her career. When she's playing a 13 to, I guess, 19-year-old girl... Because I, I think think there's a big scene in the middle of the movie where she's supposed to be 19 or 18, right? Mm -hmm. Anyway... She's playing this silly teenager, and she's going over the top to do it, and she's making you laugh because there's a lot of funny scenes there. But do those take away from the the great work she's doing as an older version? Not of for me. I mean, seriously, I thought Florence Pugh. There's, I don't know what the heck it is, but she jumped off the screen to me in multiple scenes mm. in this movie, and I thought mm. she was outstanding. And how she is not, to me, how she's not being considered more heavily in this supporting actress. I, I thought she is better than what Laura Dern does in Marriage Story. Quite frankly, I, I thought she was just this is a star making type thing from a star making year from her. Well, I agree that it's it's a star making role and just how she commands the screen as as an older version of Amy. I, I, I'm, t- I'm totally with that. I just I probably too close to this property in this last week. Of, right. Basically, it feels like a binge watch. Right. You know, and those things stick out at me. You know, young Amy scenes they stick out at me in, in every movie. Like Kirsten Dunst, you hate her. Mm. And Elizabeth Taylor, you really hate her. Hmm. Those characters are not identifiable or relatable. Like, I relate to this Amy more than any other Amy. That's because of Greta Gerwig and Florence Pugh. But here's the goofy thing. It just sticks out like a sore thumb that she's trying to play this 13-year-old silly silly kid. And then all of a sudden, she's this, I'm going to level you with a, uh, a quick phrase just you know, I'm gonna tear your whole life down and make yeah. you recontextualize everything just based on the look and the stare that I'm gonna give you, Timothy Chalamet, over and over where I, uh, I you know, I keep on almost spoiling it at the end of the movie. <laughs> well, it's almost a double-edged sword, though, right? Because you 
this is the most relatable Amy that we had in any of these properties because she's given that kind of characterization of those flashbacks and being able to establish herself yeah. more and relate to you more. So without those, you probably wouldn't have this this kind of uh, disdain for how she's acting as a teenager, but that you need those scenes to have her adult scenes be more impactful towards the plot anyway. So mm-hmm. I, I could see both sides of it, but like I said, to me, I, I wasn't concentrating on that and it kind of went over my head, any issues with her as a teenager. I just was blown away by what she did. Just talking about my list, I want to put Florence Pugh high. Yeah. On my list. Like, really high. Yeah, it's a weak category this year. And I, I don't know. I've been wrestling with it. Her but... voice is unbelievable. She just jumps off the screen every time. She sounds like such an old, wise sage. And then you look, at she's like this 20-something-year-old little girl. 23. My yeah, God. Mo- movie star. Movie star charisma. Saoirse Ronan. Talk about charisma. I mean, this is a much more realistic and modern Joe she has a ton of agency in yes, this movie. She, she has more agency than important. she had in the book. She has more agency than she had in other films. Like she, she doesn't need men to, you know, work as her agent talking to publishers like has happened before. She doesn't need to be defined by the men in her life or even her mother. Like she's given agency that Marmy has in the 1994 version. She's given a lot more yeah. agency in this in this book uh, in terms of her writing life and her professional career. Uh, and if she does get suggestions, they're coming from family. They're not coming from professors named Bayer. So I think that's that's a huge shift in Greta Gerwig's version here. There's a conversation that happens between Sir Sharon and Meryl Streep, which I think is Gerwig's kind of delineation of how this version is going to be different from the other two versions. Because yeah. and, and again, I do recommend that, that Be Kind Rewind uh, video. You go check that out from Isabella there on YouTube. Uh, because each of these movies, each iteration of Little Woman kind of takes place and they're a reflection of what's happening at the time. And, and Saoirse Ronan is, she is this independent and this strong and fierce character, but she's kind of saying that, you know, I don't want to be dependent. I don't Mm -hmm. want to be reliant on a man, and I don't think any of these women, quite frankly, do. Even when we get to the Amy section where she's talking about how she sees marriage strictly as an economic relationship, which is great. So they don't really take the gender aspect into it at all. At least they kind of shun it, which is just more empowering to them. But I think Saoirse Ronan is fiercely independent, and because we know her so much as this advocate and as this great coming-of-age, beautiful young woman coming into her own right here, and we've been knowing her so well, I think it kind of translates well with her characterization of Joe here. Uh, everything worked for me high energy performance again you buy her as show folk you buy her as somebody who's trying to get her reps in i mean she's basically she wants a career in the theater she wants a career as a writer and she takes all those goofy ass plays that she and her sisters do she takes them seriously and yes Catherine hepburn was probably the best version with the the playwright the at-home playwright and I loved how she did all the old stylized Hollywood performance within a performance scenes. Rodrigo, Rodrigo, blah, blah, blah. They're, they're, they're very fun. I think June Allison has the strangest performance, but it's still very good. Yeah. She's 32 years old. Right. She looks kind of 32 years old. <laughs> No offense, Jude Allison from the 1940s, but it's ridiculous. And then it's funny because, like, Laurie in that movie is, uh, he's kicked out of the army because he tried to join. He was too young. And then he, he walks out and he's like this, he looks like Lee Pace from uh, Halt and Catch Fire. And I mean, he's got the deep voice. He's like six foot three. Makes zero sense. <laughs> so they've, they've had worse offenders in terms of the age thing. Right. But I, I, I love Joe in this movie. I think she's my favorite Joe thus far. And that, that's saying a lot is what I'm trying to get across. Because even Winona Ryder's performance is excellent. She's got the most little girl 
again, me and my phrases, little girl feel. <laughs> like, she feels she feels like a little girl. Again. We got to move on. Let's move on. <laughs> Emma Watson is the best Meg since Janet Lee. like I mentioned. Uh, what did you think of uh, Emma Watson, Eliza Scanlon as Beth? How'd they do? I liked the Beth character. I was kind of let down by Emma Watson, to be honest with you. I didn't, I, I don't know what it was. I felt like she might have been sidelined or maybe there wasn't enough screen time for her. Or I, I felt like she was the most detached of the sisters. So this character typically takes her leave off stage like halfway through right. every other book, every other version, because she's not that Im- right. as important of a character. She's meant as a contrast to Joe. And like she's, all these characters And she's are. the biggest indicator of change in Joe's life. Joe doesn't like change. She doesn't want people right. to leave. She doesn't want, you know, doesn't want her to get married, etc. So she doesn't have as much meat on the bone here, but I, I do like the scene she's in. I love the, the scene that where she's at the debutante ball. I thought that was some of her best work. And I buy the stuff with her and John Brooks. So I, I, I'm with her. I don't think it's spectacular, but I thought it's fine, I guess. But Where does John Brooks fit into this, by the way? Is he not Laurie's brother? He's a not. No, he's not Laurie's brother. He's Laurie's tutor. Okay. I, so that, he's just that a poor went over teacher. My, well, that's that's why I was like, why is he poor? And Laurie's so wealthy if they're brothers. But that went over my head. They're not brothers. Still, right. The hairstyles were very much alike. Right. I, would that's, agree I thought had, they looked kind of similar. I was they like, oh, had yeah. the same hair. And, and he's that, always in Chris Cooper's house. Like, I was like, you know. That's a good point. <laughs> he's got a couple funny jokes, this John Brooke. That was probably the, the, the happiest I was with a John Brooke <laughs> recently. Anyway, I think Eliza Scanlon as Beth... Strong, right? I yeah, mean, I liked her. Totally different from Sharp Objects. Sharp Objects, let's just say she's a complex character. <laughs> she's not a complex character here. No, she's the the, the, the character sister. of sympathy. You know, right. yeah. Chris Cooper, an adorable Mr. Lawrence. You just want to hug that. What man. range from him? I mean, the the, the, the kind of standoffish father in Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. And then, a, and yep. then being this guy yep. who you just want to hug and feel so sorry for in Little Women. Secret vaunted past in yeah. every other movie he's played in, but here he's just this guy you just want to just you just want to just snuggle. I feel awful for him to too by bad. the end of this. Yeah, yeah. every Meryl Streep scene <laughs> is absolutely addictive to watch. And you're right, I'm right because I mentioned I had it before. But Good you job. basically led me there. <laughs> To the Jacob Marley comparison. Yeah, she looks ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, and maybe this is an indicator of makeup at the time or whatever, but she looks ghastly in comparison to everyone else in every scene. But there is a reason for it at one point. Right. All right, anyway, I, I do think she is quite the antagonistic mentor character in this. And in other movies, in other movie versions of this, we don't understand her at all. Here we do. Yeah. I like, mean, this is, in her and Saoirse, again, this is that conversation, which I think might be the most important scene in the movie. Maybe I'm giving away best, but it's the conversation mm-hmm. of the old view of women and what mm-hmm. their role is in society versus the progressive, fundamentally changing landscape of feminism. And Yeah, but she, she's an asshole in all other movies. And in here, because I think... She's more you're, well-rounded. You're leaning, yeah, yeah, you're leaning into the, the full feminine... I guess you're leaning into so many different kinds of characters right you got six well-rounded mm-hmm. female characters written for this story as we transition in to script thoughts i mean these are fully realized people in a way but i also think like the art of cast writing the art of ensemble writing it's more about like delving into yourself and like because i am all of these characters right here's the thing that you get when when a movie like this comes out like Little Women, I've seen multiple magazine articles and multiple YouTube videos. Who, which Little Women are you? Which Little Women are you? Are you a Beth? Are you a Amy? Are you a Joe? I'm Samantha. Right, yeah. But really, I've been all of these characters. 
it's at a, one point in my life yeah, or another. It's a mark of a very fantastic screenplay because usually when we're dealing with an ensemble piece, you have one character that's supposed to... I, I mean, Inside Out is the most on the nose, but you literally, are, most of the times, have one character that's yeah. supposed to be one emotion or one kind of personality type or one kind of... And these aren't. These are all very well-rounded and well-established characters. You can say that's a uh, credit to the runtime because you do have an over two-hour movie here. And uh, I think it's just a credit to Greta Gerwig's screenwriting prowess. I mean, she's amazing. Yeah. I think this script, yep. not to cut you off, but no, I think shit. this script, with the degree of difficulty it had to to have, it's obviously going to compare it to the past iterations of Little Women. It's obviously a, a very well-beloved property. It's mm-hmm. very well-known. Mm-hmm. This script is more impressive to me than The Irishman. Uh, it totally is for me as well. The more I study it, the more um, I'm over the moon about it. And the more I studied The Irishman, the more I thought they fucked up. Oh, really? I thought Zalian screwed it up. I thought he screwed up the ending. And I thought... Wow. I thought he was a real cop out. Didn't like the ending of the Irishman. I thought. I mean, I thought it's been done to death because of what Scorsese did in the past. So it's. It, there's an interesting conversation we had there. I don't expect this to actually do well versus the Irishman per se. I think the yeah. Irishman's probably going to end up winning adapted screenplay. This deserves a nomination. I absolutely agree. It's the most engaging, combative, modern way to tell this story. It's the timeline is totally. I wouldn't say totally different because here's what happens in this version of the story. All the other versions are chronological. Like, you start when they're kids, and you end with them being adults. But here's the thing. This movie is starting with them as adults. However, they still get the flashbacks to the similar act movements of the other stories. Right. Like, you still get the climax of Act 2 and Act 3, the same place in this movie that it was in in most of the other movies. I I would say. At least it's in the ballpark. Yeah. I I agree. Again, it's not... Hard to follow. There's some scenes where it takes a little effort. Good. I was curious but about that. it's a credit to Gerwig. This is an outstanding, outstanding effort. But here's the whole reason why she does it and why it works. Now she frames all these conflicts. Instead of it being a melodrama and these kids just acting out, yeah. like we're given the seeds to why right. early. And it then we frame those seeds. Like We understand the conflict, One of the, some of the later conflicts in the film, early. We get those early, and then we tell you about how it all happened. And you get all the iconic scenes that you know and love from this property. She might be the best writer right now at writing well-rounded characters in movie. I mean, think about Lady Bird and how much we had to chew on every main character there, even the side characters. I mean, she's got to be up there right now. She's got to be up there. Paul Thomas Anderson's still up there for yeah, me. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, if you think about But his movies are very centralized, too. Right. You know, I mean, they're, they're you can narrow those down to like two or three characters per movie that you're given a lot of. It gets scary when they're not centralized, like Magnolia right, or Boogie right. Nights. <laughs> I mean, think about it. When he doesn't have his month screen time, Tom Cruise has to do some things. <laughs> And to show how round. Anyway, all right. I think you're right. I think you're yeah. absolutely right. I think Greta Gerwig is atop her game with this screenplay. I, 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 think I was it's blown away. My best adapted screenplay yeah. of the year. Might be mine too. I, I don't see something else beating it, but we'll, we'll see. I, I do think for me, people like me who have like plot ADHD, like if you don't hook me early, right, you're in trouble. And I, I love that she saw that imperative for a modern audience and she knew she couldn't just slowly roll the snowball down the hill to get to the big scenes. She had to start off at, when they're adults and then, you know, go back and go back and go back and reframe it all. It also leads to some ruthless retellings, by the way. And we're going to get to those in a second. But let's wrap up the Oscar lens. This is kind of, 
you know, where we end every non-spoiler section. I think costumes should get a nod. I don't know if it's going to happen. There's too many uh, period pieces in there. I think you're going to get... Well, I was going to say you probably get one of either this or Downton Abbey, but I don't want to break your mother's heart. <laughs> How does she choose? It's a Sophie's Choice. Mike, production design. Again, I think it should get a nod, but you got you have a lot of good design options this year. I proposed this like a month ago. I don't think coming out on Christmas helps anyone's Oscar chances anymore. I think it's too late in the year. I think there's too many critic circles and too many opinions that are being formed. I think October, November is kind of that sweet spot where you want these Oscar pieces to come because they, I mean, this one should stand on its own merits and it's kind of getting lost in the sauce a little bit because we're so ready for award season to come and all the experts are already penning their best of articles like I just kind of said before. I think studios understand that there's room for a late breaker every year. I mean, we saw it with Million Dollar Baby a bunch of years back. Yeah. Late breaker, win it all. We saw it with Phantom Thread where it, it did well at the But Oscars that's my point. If Phantom, well if Phantom Thread came out in October, that's going to give it more momentum. I think so as well. But I think that they rationalize it. On the one hand, you have the Christmas holiday. It's a Christmas movie. It wants to make money, and they don't care about awards. They care about money. They I get that. They care about the money yeah. more. And you have Uncut Gems, and you have Little Women doing very, very well at the box office. You have the middle of January, when instead of retreading all your Oscar pictures, you're going to have something like 1917 that's a major contender that everybody can see for the first time. Again, now you're opening up a box office window for 1917. So... Portrait of a Lady on Fire, Push to Valentine's Day. I I think these awards movies, I mean, they they want to make money. Yeah, I I understand that, and I think you're 100 percent right. It's just it's a disservice. It kind of I want this to win Best Adapted Screenplay, and it's not going to. Adapted Screenplay is where it should get nominated, yeah. where it should be the safest, right? I would think so. Yeah, I would heavily advocate Pew remains to be seen and that's kind of where this is all coming on to, to crescendo for me this should she should be a no-brainer nominee and this is kind of too late in the year she hasn't been talked about enough she's a golden globe not we'll see look i'm going to talk about charlize theron i'm going to talk about the the great performances in bombshell or the very good performances in bombshell because i'm going to talk about them that they're very good to me pew and ronan are a tier above yeah i don't see i don't see it i i guess i go in for the flashier performance I always do. Yeah. And that that it's a more of an actor's acting right. job by Theron and Kidman, but And they're playing real people, those tend to get nods. We, so yeah. Yeah, we didn't even talk about Chalamet as much because no. I think he was the assist man of the movie, him and <laughs> Street. Great. I mean, he's giving so much for him and or whatever. They're just they have such great chemistry that it's just you could see the volley of like electricity and the charges going back and forth between he and Ronan, between he and Pew. Those scenes are the best of the movie, in my opinion. I also think this is something I gave Quentin Tarantino a lot of credit for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and it's even more magnified now because these stars are even more established than what Tarantino used at the uh, the Spawn Ranch there. But we're going to look back in like 10 years and look at this movie and be like, holy shit, look at all these people that were in this movie starring together when they were so young because these are going to be the people that are running Hollywood. I, I agree with you, and I think uh, I think we have iconic scenes in this film. Just sure. In this story, yeah. in this property, they've—I've come to them the last couple of weeks, I guess, or the last couple yeah. of months, and I've realized how iconic they are. I think Greta Gerwig elevated them, and I definitely think she just made them electrically charged. Like I keep saying, I think this is the best cast a Little Women's ever had, and I think 
this movie should be up for a best picture. I think it should be should have been nominated for best it's gonna ensembles. Going to be in my top 10 of the year for sure. There are movies that have been nominated for best ensemble that there's not a performance as good as Florence Pugh. In. I it's stand bullshit. by what I said. This should have came out in November. Yeah. Pick put this out in Thanksgiving. Put it a month earlier. It's going to get the same feel, the same holiday attachment. You probably get the same box office and you have the green book effect where you get another month of promotion out of it still i'm gonna hold out hope that it's a late breaker like yeah. the phantom thread that wound up with six or seven nominations at the end of the day could greta gerwig break into that competitive directing field i'm guessing no i think there's a big five in there she's not gonna get in she's gonna be in my five yeah she's I've, four right now i've said she gets nominated for months so i'm standing by that i think she does end up there okay. at the end of the day i'm hope so i'm hopeful of it and i'm gonna say yes I'm rooting for it because she's legitimately in my top five. I mean, yeah. she's my number four right now. We'll see what Sam Mendes has to say about it. Uh, but she's above Bombac for me. But I think Bombac's, you know, her her husband that's going to get in over her, I guess. Husband, boyfriend, are they married? I don't even know. I am so entrenched in my opinion that Marriage Story is going to fade come Oscars time. And I have <laughs> nothing to base that on. Nothing. At all. <laughs> I, I don't I don't know what you're basing it on either. <laughs> I, so, dude, look, bottom line is don't go see Cats. No. Don't go see Star Wars. No. Go and see Little Women. This is a good movie. Yes. Out. During this time period, we've been starved for a good movie. Go see it. I think this is our longest non-spoiler section of any OSP. Of I am year, not by surprised. The way. <laughs> Let's go into spoilers. Spoilers ahead. This is a spoiler warning. Spoilers. Spoilers. section of Greta Gerwig's Little Women brought to you by Mike, Mike, and Oscar, the Oscar Sprint Profile for Little Women. If you've not seen the movie yet, this is a good place for you to hit pause, head to your theater, and do head to your theater and go check this one out. You will be pleasantly surprised. We'll be waiting for you when you come back to hit play. If you've seen the movie already, if you just want to hear our thoughts, or if we've hyped up the spoiler section for you so much in the non-spoiler section that you cannot possibly go another minute without professing your love for me and Michael like uh, This is <laughs> on, a, on a sunny New England fall hill. Uh, this is where you want to be. It's all spoilers all the time. The Greta Gerwig adaptation of Little Women brought to you by Mike, Mike, and Oscar in the Oscar Sprint Profile. Michael, where are we starting? I wanted to start at the end, and I think let's let's talk about the ending, then let's talk about a few worse and probably a lot more bests. Mm. All right, the genius of this ending, we have this ending working for book fans, working for fans of the previous films, but also modernizing it. And it allows you to have your cake and eat it, too. There's a unique tribute paid to Laura Dern's Marmy character. There's a, There are levels of irony with this fin- finale uh, that I think Greta Gerwig must have thought about forever. Yeah. I think she knew she wanted to do it this I way agree. forever. So she basically, throughout her studies of the, of the book, realizes that Louisa May Alcott was forced into the book's ending mm-hmm. of marrying off Joe March. Okay, so this is what the publisher of Tracy Letts tells her. Yeah. And the big punchline of this entire sequence is that they agree, they strike the deal throughout their negotiating of the copyrights and et cetera on the novel. They negotiate the fact that 
you're going to marry off Joe March at the end of the movie. And then, after an entire story of cold, awkward rea- you know, interactions with the Louis Scarell, Professor Bayer character that had much more agency in previous versions of this, mm-hmm. that was more like a meet-cute kind of character. Right. In here, yeah, they had the dance sequence. That's probably the closest thing you can say to a romantic thing. Otherwise, he's just negging her. He's negging her with his book reviews. Or I didn't her... get that. I thought he was being honest and she was a little Here's flustered at it. In, in previous versions of that scene, he is he apologizes profusely. Right. And she's still like, I can't deal with it. But he gives her the Shakespeare. But then... He, in that scene, he's just kind of a dick, in my opinion. Compared, you thought so? Yeah. Totally All right. Compared, I didn't get that, but that's that's interesting. I'm, I'm glad you didn't get yeah. it. But compared to the other falling all over themselves to walk it back, right. Professor Bayers. And I'm glad he wasn't portrayed in that way in this one. He just is like, has nobody ever given you this honesty before? Right, because when she, he basically tells her in previous versions, you have to write what you know. I want to. I want right. to know about you and your family. And that's him to, guiding her, and we I, don't want that. I don't in this want version. genre fiction. Right. And in this movie, just like in Louisa May Alcott's life, you know, who came to her with the real thing and the real advice right. that she took? Probably her family, if but not these guys. Exactly. Not Professor Bayer. Exactly. So it, it was prob- her. It was her. And Greta Gerwig's research of Louisa May Alcott and Louis, Louisa May Alcott's fierce independence. Right. As agree. As someone who owned her own copyrights, who supported her family, whose father was a transcendentalist preacher who refused to work and really support his family, so he forced his daughters to go out in the world and do it themselves. Luckily, he had one daughter like Louisa May, who actually went out there, you know, negotiated her own copyrights again. Badass woman. So the under the umbrella scene happens with a blare of the score, with (laughs) with with a rough. Awkward smash cut to the big kiss between Garel and Ronan. And it's really funny. And it's really like, you're like, I can't believe this is how she's framing this. It's also uh, kind of a bite against every rom-com ever yes. in a big way. Because she doesn't even realize she's in, like, this isn't a forlong love lust. Even when Joe is having her moment and she's breaking down, she doesn't care about men. She makes that very clear in her dialogue. And she's just like, I'm just lonely. And so she thinks she's in love with someone. She turns out that and she doesn't understand what love is of herself, which is so funny in and of its own right, because she's so wrapped up in being this fierce, independent person. She needs her sisters to be to literally tell her, you got to chase this guy. <laughs> and I do love the fact that they give Amy the impetus there. Yes, shows I do the too. Two sisters coming together, which is great. And so- who's always been... And marriage first too whether it's thinking about it analytically from an economic standpoint or without her or through her feelings yes. how she loves Laurie doesn't love the other guy that she's supposed to be with yeah but you were right before when you're saying like this is a super cliched rom-com like yes. scene I, I mean there, there's an entire genre of rom-com parodies isn't it romantic right. with ugh. Anyway, <laughs> I'm just thinking of her in Cats. I'm thinking of her in that Rebel movie. Wilson. I, Rebel Wilson. I kind of liked her in Isn't It Romantic. Yeah, but you love movie, that movie. I remember you were very This movie yeah. succeeds more than anything in Isn't Romantic as a parody of a yes, rom-com. I agree. And it's not even trying to do it. I agree. I, I agree. It's it's funny. And that's like, it's like you said, it's third or fourth meaning. It's not trying to, it's not presenting a satire. It's presenting as this climax of this story, this character arc. And you get a climax of Louisa May Alcott's real life there. You get a climax of the book's ending. You get a climax that's befitting and learned from 
Meg's storyline about the economics, right? Joe learns from, you know, Meg's dealings with economics. It's it's learned from Beth's storyline. I mean, she's going to start a school for the arts. I mean, that's in tribute to her sister mm. Beth. Uh, it, it's 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 a credit to Amy's storyline. Ironically, it's Aunt Marge. It's Large Marge who enabled this to happen for Joe March it, to to start that school to have Luis Garrel involved. And it, and it and it's Amy's character that acts as the main protagonist uh, antagonist in the books, of course. So you know this is part Amy. And then what do we do? At that celebration and that final sweeping, you know, blaring score kind of finale, we have a birthday party for who? Laura Dern's mom. Right. And we're celebrating the mother that really was the driving force behind this coming-of-age story, this development of Joe March. And to get to that point before we're there and before Joe realizes Amy's been married to Laurie and all that happens, I thought it was, again, just a credit to Gerwig. We're like, we watched Joe break down. We watch her say, I want someone. I'm just so incredibly lonely. I want to be loved. And we have this conversation with Marmy where she's saying, you're not really in love with Lori, and you know you're not in love with Lori. Two of my favorite scenes of the year, the two scenes between Marmy and Joe, and and the truth bombs. Yeah. It, 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 it starts out as a scene where you think, all right, we're getting up on a righteous soapbox right. here. And I like that. That's fine. That happens in a lot of movies. Let's do it. But then you get another truth bomb that is such a contrast to what she said before. I was blown away. I had goosebumps. Like that a scene that started out on the nose that ended with such a reveal. And you're like, holy shit. And we're all rooting rooting against Joe writing that letter to Lori, aren't we? And Joe eventually realized, right? Exactly, which is the the you know the but big here, reveal to her. Obviously, circumstances dictate what happens there. You know, Amy and Lori get married. Mm-hmm. I hope Joe would have came around. I hope she wouldn't have ruined her life by marrying Lori. I agree. I think it would have. But I, I just thought it was interesting in that moment. Every time we see this type of movie right the big reveal to the character i four weddings and a funeral the big reveal to the character is oh you've been my one true love all along and this is satirizing it this is satirizing that fact this is showing you how wrong yes joe would have been yeah to go through with that they literally and how wrong that trope is in rom-coms they literally (laughs) outline why it's wrong through the mentor character of the entire film marmy laura dern's character she wins the argument with Joe in that scene. And Joe does the final but, but I'm so lonely. It's a, it's a great scene. My God. Yeah, I'm with you. And All then right. you have Joe literally explaining it a couple scenes before to Lori back when the, on Meg's, Meg's wedding day why it won't work out because Lori's too... Lori doesn't know what the hell he wants in life yet. Lori does not know. <laughs> Lori wants every sister at various points in this movie. He does. <laughs> and can you blame him? No, of course. Well, he, he, it's scummy. It's very scummy of him. He's keeping his options. <laughs> He's open. not a man he, of principle. He wants to be a March family member, right? You know, when he walks into the to the house that first time, she's like, "Call me, Marmy." He didn't leave, right? Like you and I probably would have left, like immediately. <laughs> Just walk out. No, I gotta go. <laughs> See you later. See you never. This is bizarre. Right. Like this is crazy what he walks into but when he walks into there coming from his you know living across Posh overseas lifestyle, yeah. yeah i mean he's this bohemian and he's in this house stuck with his grandpa and his tutor and it's boring and there's no energy there's no life he's grieving his two dead parents 
you know, he's kicked out of the army in previous mm-hmm. versions, but here he probably wouldn't get close to a battlefield because he's a little torpy guy. <laughs> but bottom line is he craves this kind of life. I mean, mm-hmm. he craves, you know... Just relationships. Relationships, yeah. but just being around women in general. Mm-hmm. Cra- I mean, who doesn't want to be around that? Us, but <laughs> otherwise... <laughs> I wish we were different. Anyway, I think uh, Timothy Chalamet does want to be a part of this family. I think that's as no much. Question. Yeah, and he doesn't know. I mean, you know, he's a young. These are all twenty somethings right. portrayed as these characters. So you're not supposed to have life figured out at that point, regardless of the time period. I mean, you know, everyone in the 1800s got married at that young. You don't have it figured but out. But Mike, this is like the first movie where I truly realize that Amy is a better match for him. Usually, I'm coming away. Well, this is also the first movie you're given. So much with Amy. Right. To, to play against Lori. Right. We are convinced right. throughout this movie that Amy's a better man right. than him. Right. I agree. And, uh, and that it always should have been Amy because in every other version, like, they're afraid to make those distinctions. Right. They're afraid to show all the faults. Greta Gerwig is not. She's not afraid to create more faults uh, for these characters. And, you know, Laurie's got his own, I mean, he, he's got his own issues that we don't get to see in other movies either. And the best part of that relationship is that Amy is way too good for Laurie. Amy is literally, yes, she's in love with him, but I think first and foremost, it's like, I got you. <laughs> you are, I, I need your setup and your resources to further, so Aunt March smiles on me and to further my legacy. And I, I mean, Amy's, I love Amy. Florence Pugh is awesome. I love Amy too. Yeah. I never thought, I've never loved Amy in any one of these yeah. versions. We're kind of skipping past our worst here for a minute, but I think it's important. Let's keep going with Amy and Laurie because there's like four or five scenes that are great. I mean, yeah. that that epic meet cute in France. I mean, it's like the best meet cute ever. Again, this is not a rom-com. Yeah. Not trying to be a rom-com. Do, doing it better than any rom-com. That blue hat on Pew, that silly kiss on Meryl Streep's mm-hmm. cheek. What a great, pleasant, happy scene. Contrast that with you have Florence Pugh's Amy chewing him out at the ball in France. I'd be respected if I couldn't be loved, which sends him off. Yeah. You don't get why it's happening in that first scene because you haven't had all the rest of the flashbacks yet, but she, he is provoked, and then he causes a scene like Bruce Wayne did it in Batman Begins, Christian Bale embarrassing Rachel Dawes at the hotel that all of his mm-hmm. girls were you know, swimming in the pond in the restaurant mm-hmm. or whatever, and the whatever, this <laughs> indoor whatever uh, We've all We all have one. <laughs> I'm buying this hotel now. I mean, he has a scene just like that, and you're just like, oh my God, how are these two ever going to speak again? Of course they will, however, because Lori comes to the studio, apologizes to her, and you get that economics lesson from Amy. Amy that was relayed to her from Aunt Marge that you'll see later in the film, which is a brilliant way to do it, by the way. And I am floored by how Florence Pugh performs this scene because she's got fear in her eyes every time she looks up, but then like she is resolute when she's looking down. Or give it, laying it out to him. Because she knows it to be true, but she's kind of pleading with him while she's giving it. I just thought it's one of the more subtle performances I've seen all year. It just it absolutely blew me away. I, I've never been so resolute in any decision I've ever made in my life, as Amy is in deciding she's going to accept the hand of, of this man in marriage who mm-hmm. she knows she doesn't love. Mm-hmm. And it's basically, you have the Joe character and the Amy character working off of two sides of the proposition that Art March lays out before them in previous scenes, which is basically, you know, what is better for what your life is to be? To follow your passion and worry about maybe being penniless or to have this 
platonic marriage mm. that at least will set you up for life. And the way that Joe interprets that and the way that Amy interprets that leads to their clashing all movie long. And I think there's so much more to the Aunt Marge character. Like, she gives Joe that house. Yeah. Not Amy right. that house. Like Amy well, she was, knows. Right, because she knows Amy took Amy's her words to heart. set up. Right. She knows Amy's exactly. okay. But she's still mad enough at Meg where she's not going to help Meg out a little extra. Right. She respects Joe. Mm-hmm. She respects that Joe's trying to go on her own, and she gives her the house, gives her a boost. She also, Aunt Marge, respects Joe and kind of doesn't respect Amy's pursuits. And she gives that little jab, go back to your little paintings. Go. She doesn't really ever belittle Joe's passion that way. But She Amy, tries to explain educationally right. to Joe that a passion may not get you where you want to go. But Amy's impressionable. Right. As she's been her whole life right. as a younger sibling, I guess that's that's somewhat true. Right. I, I think of my brothers too. But I'm a fraud. You <laughs> are what your brother Dave said you Just are. an amalgamation of anyway. all different kinds of one-liners and commercials. <laughs> I do think I do think Aunt Marge has yes, I agree. belittled the painting enough to where Florence Pugh is just Amy's like I'm not going anywhere with this. I'm here to get married, right. and here's why. Mm-hmm. Here's why I gotta fucking do this. Let's all right, let's to- let's level with each other here, and this is that kind of scene. And to follow that up with a flirtation that leads that actually sparks Lori. Mm-hmm. They both flirt with each other right. at the end of that scene. The next scene, they're like lounging about on the lawn, on the grass, whatever. And he's like, don't marry him. And Amy's so... Florence Pugh is great in that scene, too. Like, how dare you? (laughs) I can't get over this scene. This is my favorite scene in the movie, I think. Yeah, it's very good. Florence Pugh is like... how Again, dropping the biggest truth bomb of the film that I really don't care about in other versions of this. That Amy's in love with Because you're not that attached to Amy, right. You're not that attached to Amy. Amy's an asshole. Right. Burning the novel... (laughs) As a kid, she's annoying, falling through the ice. Just does Amy drown. apologize for burning the novel in other versions? Yeah, she, she always does. does. She okay. does it like immediately after. Okay. Like here, I mean, Mike, she is burning it page by page. <laughs> it is, you know, it's time to grab I, that bear I wondered, suit. I wonder, it's time to grab the bear suit if you're Florence Pugh. I wondered how she, if she was personified in that way, or how forgiving she was in the other versions because... It seemed like she was awfully one note in the other versions, and here she yes. clearly is not. No, this is this is a fully realized right. Amy. This is the best Amy right. we've ever had, obviously. Now, that's a fucked up scene, because she's basically like, I've loved you my entire life, you idiot. Right, right. Well, how can and you do this to me? And basically, she she's genuinely surprised. And she probably shouldn't have been. She was worried about... Well, she's indignant, because she has this inferiority complex, and she knows she does. She knows the world sees her as secondary to Joe's mindset. And Meg does too, for the for that matter. And she probably has, you know, Aunt Marge just browbeating her into her submission ear, yeah. as well. And she is basically resigned to the fact that, all right, Fred Vaughn, Fred Vaughn, <laughs> that's what's happening. Poor Fred. Poor nah, is it poor Fred? Yes, Vaughn? it's poor. He's still a guy. He's still a person. Well, here's here's points for Fred Vaughn. Like, could he have picked a more beautiful spot for a marriage proposal? to get turned down. You can, oh. <laughs> but yeah, he's going to live in a He just pulled out a revolver. <laughs> <laughs> if so, I mean, after you set that up, if yeah. you're in France, if you have that backdrop, if you have that landscape... He should have just walked to... off into the ocean after we... <laughs> That's it. Agreed. All right. Uh, we're kind of able to transition back to a couple of worse. Let's get those out of the way. Look, maybe. the biggest glaring worse for me is something we alluded to a couple times. I think it's one, maybe the only real worst I have 
Gerwig does a great job with the timeline, jumping back and forth. Doesn't, but when Beth dies, yes. I know you have the issue too. When Beth dies, it's set up like a dream sequence on Joe's part because everything is falling into place immediately before that. Beth has gotten better. It's almost like an SNL skit in the way it's delivered. It's like Beth got better. The house is warm. It's Christmas time. And look, things you didn't even realize were going well are coming. Here's dad has come home from the war. Yeah. Like, like the town has been saved. The water supply is good. It's like everything great happens. And then everything she wakes happens. up. Yeah. The next minute, the house is in a completely different color, by the way. It's no mm-hmm. longer orange and glowing. It's mm-hmm. blue. Laura Dern is crying. So Beth dies. So to me, in that moment, I was like, oh. That was a dream that Joe was having, except that we see Bob Odenkirk at the actual funeral for Beth. So it wasn't a dream. And so that's what I was, it was going way too fast for me. I couldn't keep up. And then the funeral scene happens for two seconds, and then we're on back in time to Meg's wedding. So I was just, what? Whoa, hang on. So in the other versions of this, and I think in the book, you have Beth getting sick in like early act two, Mm -hmm. and there's a close call. There's a close call with Beth surviving the first night where she has scarlet fever. In this movie montage, we are shown that scene where Joe is nursing her back to Mm -hmm. health. Joe's getting it done there. Yeah. And In other versions of the movie, it's Susan Sarandon, it's Marmee, it's different characters nursing Beth back to health. But Joe's nursing Beth back to health, and Joe wakes up to an empty bed, goes downstairs, finds Beth, right? Right. It's paralleling... The, the death scene. Because here, Joe, instead of nursing her back to health, takes her outside on a windy, cold day at the beach, which is probably just uh, just inviting all of those pathogens. Yeah, I in. thought taking her to the shore or taking her to the beach, like Joe to said she was going to do so many times, I thought that was like a colloquialism. <laughs> I didn't well, know she was actually going I, to go to the beach. I know scarlet fever weakens your heart. Oh, I think okay. that's what it does. So you have Beth with just like this bad ticker. And I think if you... Could, if you add pneumonia to a bad ticker, that's probably not good. <laughs> probably not. So she basically gets Beth pneumonia as she sits out there, and she's like, tell me how I'd be a writer in my future. <laughs> I have an issue with that scene as well. But here's the thing. It's going back and forth between the happy Beth storyline and the sad Beth storyline. In the books, we're given happy Beth storyline. And we feel sad because we, we kind of we we worry. Know the coming. We yeah. worry about Beth. Yeah. I, I would say, I don't know if we know it's coming, okay. but... There's a big, the, the Happy Christmas scene is one of the happier scenes of the book that I think you look back fondly upon. Here it's all in the same sequence. I hated it. This is ruthless. Yeah. It is cruel. Greta Gerwig, holy shit, for people who've seen this for the first time who are actually like getting emotional, like I'm wondering, did this get you emotional or were no. you just like, no, off it was your happening pens? too quick because again, I thought my first interpretation was, really, this is, this is a little silly. All these good things are happening at once. My second interpretation was, oh, it's a dream. My third interpretation is, wait, this isn't a dream. Bob Odenkirk's really there. And then we're on to Meg's death scene but somebody it, put on twitter recently that they need to you know a second rewatch just shows you how much heart this really has and how great the characters yeah. are i can't emphasize that you need either be prepared for this or watch it again well, because it kind of took me out of it here's what i noticed about that sequence upon further rewatches because i obviously i noticed it the first watch but upon the other rewatches greta actually put meg's resolutions in there just to kind of put a tourniquet on the beth scenes that were because she's showing Beth's decline scenes, interwoven with Beth's recovery scenes, and then to kind of staunch the wound, 
you have Meg reconciling with John Brooke, which sets up the Meg wedding scene. Because after Beth dies, and after you get the quick funeral shot, you get the happy Meg's wedding scene. It is where a, Beth's alive. Where hanging Beth's out. alive. You get the roller coaster in that sequence. I, yeah, I didn't. I don't think it worked totally for me. So it, the more I think about it, the more I'm like, points for ambition. Some of this right. really works. Right. I don't know. I, it's just such an awkward edit. Like, why didn't they show That's Beth's exactly body? my thought. Exactly. Like, give me some kind of... Or at least don't show Saoirse Ronan waking up. I understand the impact of finding the empty bed and then Beth's okay. But just, it's just... You're coming off... They allude to father coming yeah. home. and They allude to father getting sick. They allude to father so much. To finally have the big reveal that he's there and then have that basically washed aside because now you're going right into he Beth's doesn't death. Matter. They cast fucking Bob over, Kirk. They don't care. <laughs> right. It's like, just slow down. And again, I... I, I I give Greta Gerwig all the... Because that's the only timeline issue I had. I give her all credit for pulling this off otherwise. But now, that was a little bit of mess. Did of you mess. know Beth was gonna was set to die at the beginning I of this movie? I figured. I didn't know. You didn't know. Joey from Friend, that episode's of Friends didn't spoil it for you. <laughs> no. Remember when they get Joey to read Little Women? Do you vaguely remember that? Vaguly, yes, I do. But I don't remember and exactly. The he's like, I can't handle this. <laughs> and then, then, then they're like, oh, you're going to really be upset when Beth dies. <laughs> Beth dies? <laughs> Whatever he said, it's hysterical. All right, so that's the big Yeah, thing. that was my big, big worst, for sure. But is, how bad is it? I don't know how many points nah, it off. No, it, I, don't, off. I don't dock off a lot. This is still, you can get past that. I just that, think certainly. it's so baller. It's so edgy. It's it's ambitious, for this. certainly. I just don't think, I think it fell a little bit. I, I like a lot of things about it. I think it's really ambitious. But all right, Florence Pugh, back in that school, it reminded me of Billy Madison. It was just like she's one age, and then there's all these kids who that was I work rough, with I every day, and it, it's like, what the fuck now, are they thinking? Now, the, the caveat again: back in those times, the schools, schools for girls especially, yes. they were all globbed into one class. They weren't separated by class. Previous versions of Little Women show older girls and i mean older girls like if you have elizabeth taylor who's 23 or Mid whatever 40s. i don't know what Eliz how old elizabeth taylor was i didn't look it up but you have some old looking lasses right in, in the that classroom. Room. yeah they, it looks like a women's college scene let's just say and you could have this right. would have done well to do ages, that here right. right because he's she was surrounded by all younger here girls. it's florence Pugh with the cast of eighth grade right makes right. no sense it doesn't i agree all right my biggest worst yep this, oh, this is easy Easily the worst thing about this movie. Can we eat the delicious oh, looking sake. food? <laughs> oh, the humanity! When they gave away their Christmas breakfast on a suggestion, I would have. I just... was thinking of you. <laughs> Leave me alone! I'm starving. <laughs> I would have said, "Fuck the animals!" I would. They're gonna only my kill mother. my sister later anyway. They don't deserve to eat this. We're gonna starve. But at least I would have been like, all right, I'm eating this sausage. Right, exactly. As I'm we gonna, got there. Yeah, I'll have a donut on the way. <laughs> Look, they were going to starve. <laughs> now we're going to give them enough to survive. But that doesn't mean they have to eat every piece of bacon. <laughs> right, exactly. I was thinking of you. I was. How they didn't show this group of characters, you know, come home to Mr. Lawrence's sent over meal and not eat any of it. Like, I get it. They, these draw lines don't happen by accident. I mean, these characters don't eat 
anything. I, these, these people don't eat anything. Mike, if I remade Little Women, I would have pumpkin and apple pies. I would have half Italian Lori always eating New Haven pizza. I would have them eating the whole time. I would just have fat Little Women, and it would be a better movie. I'm sorry, Greta Gerwig. Fat little, little fat women. I don't care. But that's it, it really bothers me when you have all the, this delicious-looking food, and they don't eat any of it. But they screen. gave it away. That's I mean, they came back. They had it there. The implication, obviously, they ate a nice breakfast on Christmas. Unforgivable. It's unforgivable <laughs> that they're not eating that food. That we don't get to see them take a bite. That it's not a close-up. It's unforgivable. You, you should, will not convince me. You otherwise. should never have the Food Network on in your house. <laughs> I'm bad with it. If I watch, if I watch one episode of the right. Food Network, I'm watching like six. I know. Hours of I, I could see that. And then the amount I'm eating is just. I'm an impressionable person. Yeah. So if that's the absolute worst of the movie for you, this is probably going to rank pretty high. Uh, let's wrap up a couple more bests we could talk about here in one relationship. Yeah, it's going to rank pretty high because we have more bests. We, I, not, we got stuff we're not saying. I mean, right. this is going long today. And we're, we're, we have stuff that we're not even going to touch on. But we have to touch on the Joe Laurie stuff. Yeah. Some of the best scenes of the year. If the Amy Laurie stuff aren't some of the best scenes of the year. They're both some of the best. Or Marmy, Lord, Marmy Joe stuff. Yeah. <sighs> Some of the best scenes of the year are in this movie. Yeah, for sure. So let's start at the end, though, because the way they look at each other after Meg's wedding on that beautiful hill, just the epic landscape for such an epic fight. This conversation's coming, and they both know it, even though they don't want it to happen. And Joe even starts off the conversation saying, I don't want it, you know, yeah, I, they they know this has to happen. And Lori's crinkled, defeated yeah. face before they even start. But this makes sense, because if you've been in relationships where you've had really huge fights, yeah, some of them come out of nowhere, but some of them have just been building for a long time. You could only simmer under the pot before the whole tea kettle boils over. And at least one person is kind of doing it on purpose, right? And Typically in those scenes. Sometimes, I've usually I don't know. Like emotionally, emotionally, you could probably make apologies and rationalizations for it until one thing happens. You don't know what the last straw could possibly be. And I'm sure the wedding probably didn't help matters with love. The wedding <laughs> has really set Laurie off. I right. mean, he's like, this is what I want exactly. with you, Joe. You know, we have to have it out because I can't go on anymore. I mean, the way he's crinkling his face when he says that to her. And then her just terrified eyes yeah. when she's arguing with him. For the, you can you tell how much they care about each other, Mike, which is every blowout argument I've had with somebody I love in my life. Those have been our eyes. It's not like Raging Bull where Joe Pesci and Robert De Niro just screaming at each other because they want to effing kill each other, and they have those eyes. These are real-life eyes. And I always wonder, on set, when you see two actors going at it like that and having these emotions play out in front of everyone, when the director yells, cut, what, what do they do afterwards? Do they hug? The do they fight? I don't <laughs> like, what do they do? Do they walk away to their corners? Right. <laughs> So, yeah, I'm with you. It looks very... But this is all the culmination of this script. It's a great job by Greta Gerwig getting us to this point. The emotion that these two young actors are playing on top of their games with are coming forth. This is just... This is what it's all about and why it's so relatable because we've all had some version of this fight with someone at some point. And the the way they set it up is beautiful. We kind of went over more of those setup scenes throughout the rest of this episode. But this movie works as a love triangle with Amy, Joe, and Laurie... And, the, and that's just screenwriting fundamentals right there. Put a love triangle in your movie, in your story. Louisa May Alcott <laughs> knew what she was doing all the way back then. And, and this is the, obviously you have three principal characters that are all really well defined. Uh, we mentioned some of the best mentor scenes in any movie already, I think, with Marmee and with Meryl Streep. Uh, we love all of those scenes. 
The last thing I wanted to touch on is all the little things in Little Women, Mike. I think this movie is crazily rewatchable. I noticed different things every time I watched it about every one of the big scenes. You have uh, Greta Gerwig and Louisa May Alcott setting up this whole hair motif with, with Joe. That leads into the culmination of Joe cutting her hair in that heroic moment. But there's Meg's hair getting burned. There's Amy calling it her one beauty. There's all kinds of things with hair. It's a whole thing. And you mentioned it before with fabric and with dresses. This is all stuff that actually matters to little girls and grown women. And I know it's stereotypically female to think about those materialistic things, but it's it's not just women. I understand that, but it's true. This is stuff that, that every person, young person, can relate to. The the attachment to materialism and how it reflects status in your life. And it, it's woven into the themes yeah. of the movie, of course. There's also a set of callbacks. And I realize, after watching the 33 and 49 versions, in between my watches of the 2019 version, there are a ton of callbacks to Elizabeth Taylor's Amy of the Past. You know, always playing with her nose. In the 1949 version, Elizabeth Taylor sleeps with a clothespin on her nose. <laughs> It's the weirdest thing, but it's, she doesn't think her nose looks as refined, and, and Florence Pugh says that. Florence movie. Pugh playing with it and touching it the whole time, that's funny. The post office in the forest that Timothy Chalamet has, and it actually sets up kind of the fake reversal at the end with Joe and him. Yeah, she I mean, Joe's got to get that letter out of there before it gets to Laurie, for sure. Again, showing Joe's flaws. Like, yeah. Joe was set to go through with something that everybody knew was wrong for her, herself included, that she admits to her mother. Showing her as a flawed person. Of course, uh, the scene where Marmy says she spent most of her life being ashamed of her country. Or this, most of her life being angry and always constantly working on herself. And it culminates in that scene with the soldier. With the soldier, with the woman who's working with her, right? Who says, hey, look, listen, with all due respect, you should, you should still be ashamed of your country. You know, that we're not treating minorities. We're not treating women well. We're not. In 1860. Right. I mean, not that it's all that much better now, but it, it's it, it's a rough beat. And that's a setup to the scene. You think you're going to get this really downcast, righteous indignation to end the movie. You think you're going to get the social critique that's almost insufferable. And what do you get? You get this father who walks up to her and says, I've sacrificed four sons for the war. I have two that are dead. I have, And just in this most adorable face. Mm-hmm. This most adorable face is telling you, well, I got one other son in prison and I'm going to... Uh, to Washington to visit my last son who's dying. And this is what I've sacrificed for my country. This is the American spirit. This is what we do in this country for our way I'd of life. I fight myself, but I'm no good, so I gave my four boys, is what he says. My God. My God. And here you have Marmy taking off her scarf with all mm-hmm. that expensive fabric, putting it inside the coat that this goodwill, basically, goodwill story is just giving away to this man. And that's part of Marmy's characterization and her constitution as a character, too, trying to constantly improve yourself and be better every day. So you could say one thing. You could say, you know, you're not typically, you're not very proud of your country, but it doesn't mean you don't want to strive to make it and yourself better, which he explains scenes before on the bedside talking to Joe talking about how she's constantly working on herself to not be as angry because she's angry every day and she knows it's it's a 40 year fight to get out of that mindset and uh, it's just so beautiful it's really beautiful and I and again I thought the B and C stories worked really well Meg at the debutante ball it really contrasts what Joe gives up and what Joe doesn't want any part of Mm. and it also shows you why she doesn't really connect with Lori because Lori has to be there like Meg has to be mm-hmm. there. So, it, it, again, it, you know, everything works towards everything else. And it gives Lori an end with every sister on their own, right? Except for, I guess, Beth. He doesn't really have too much 
interplay with, I guess. He doesn't have a lot of interplay it's with also Beth. why the, it's the only sister he, he doesn't flirt with. He's working down towards Beth. Yeah. He marries Beth, <laughs> she's in trouble. She's the, <laughs> Beth is the dying one. All the living March sisters right. that are healthy, Lori goes after. What a scumbag. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mike, final grades for this movie. I thought about it a lot. And I think after my first watch, it was like a B plus 89. I think after repeat viewing, so I'm like an A minus 90. Yeah. Maybe if I keep watching this movie, it'll be like a 91, 92 at the end of the day. Yeah, I'm up there as well. I'm very shocked high. at how much I enjoyed this movie and shocked at how much I related to it and how much I loved it. Uh, I'm like an 88, closing, on, closing in on an 89 myself. High B plus, definitely a top 10 of the year for me. I, I think kind of an interesting point, and it's because it is Bombback and Gerwig, I think in some ways this is a more current and relevant story yeah. to relate to than Marriage Story, which is the more contemporary piece of art and more uh, current. I hear you say that, but I mean, it definitely is something super relatable to me in my personal life. I've outlined yeah. that throughout this episode. I don't think I've had the shit go down in my life to where I've gotten divorced, I've had kids, <laughs> to where I relate to Marriage Story as much as I relate to a coming-of-age story like right. Joe March's. I mean, right. an inspiring writer. You haven't had any ugly breakups? Siblings. I've had some <laughs> ugly breakups, but not to that level. Not never, to where I'm spitting at her across the white room. Never fired a cell phone that landed and got impaled nothing, into a basketball hoop. Nothing memeable. <laughs> nothing memeable. So thank God for that. I, I relate more to this story. Thank God for that as well. <laughs> you are every little woman inside of you, like Whitney Houston. <laughs> Uh, guys, we want to know your thoughts, obviously, about your... Did you see Little Women? Uh, is it something that you were surprised that you enjoyed so much? Did we miss some stuff? Do you think there's some faults in it? Uh, or does, how do you think it stacks up to any of the other versions or iterations that you've seen over time? We obviously want to hear your thoughts, comments, questions, concerns about that, or anything else here we cover in the MMO Empire. Uh, you can leave us those at Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook, Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Instagram, at MM and Oscar on Twitter, Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com, and on Reddit. We are available everywhere you hear podcasts, including and especially Apple Podcasts. If you happen to use an iPhone, use Apple Podcasts or the app. Go on that little purple app there with the uh, the, the white, uh, I was going to say woman sticking out of it, mm-hmm. but I shouldn't say that. Mm-hmm. So I guess the white marmy sticking out of the middle of it is that what that little antenna type thing is. No, nah, it's not going to work either. It's, it's like an antenna is what it is. I guess I'll use the real word for it. Uh, you go on the Apple Podcast app, that purple square with the antenna sticking out of it. Type in Mike, Mike, and Oscar into the search. Uh, tap on our logo. Scroll down once. You could leave us a five-star review. Those Thank truly you. mean a lot to us. Uh Happy holidays, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. Hope 2019 was good to you. And if it wasn't, let's get 2020 to be a little better. Uh, and hey, you could uh, leave us five stars. That'll start off our 2020 is a little better, and you could feel good about yourself in the meantime. We would appreciate it. <laughs> Mike, what's coming next? What are some words of wisdom? We got the Golden Globe preview show. Uh, early next week, we'll have the Golden Globe reactions, which uh, who knows how we're going to react. Last year <laughs> was a shock. It was a monster shock yeah. with uh, Bohemian Rhapsody just really bursting on to the best picture landscape. The HFPA. What a weird bunch of people. <laughs> a weird bunch of people. Uh, we're going to have some stats for you. We're preparing that episode. We're going to do a Mike, Mike, and Oscar weekly episode where I think we review Bombshell. Yeah. We may change that to Uncut Gems, but we're going to add on an Uncut Gems and a Bombshell review to a couple forthcoming episodes. 1917, I think, will be our next and last full Oscar Sprint profile. And that can be for a couple weeks. It doesn't seem like. Weeks. I don't think it's coming around here anytime soon, unfortunately. Well, unless we get it the chance to, like, a portrait of a lady on fire if that comes right. out we have the time we're gonna have a big month of recording and you know in terms of the episodes that we drop we're covering all the precursor award shows we've got oscar race checkpoint we're probably gonna have to punt a few mmow's yeah, later on sure. we'll, we'll kind of let you know 
best we can with that. Or we're going to work Oscar stuff into MMOWs. In terms of words of wisdom, this was a unique scenario for me. How often does it happen where you can come fresh to a property like this? Where not only... I, I watched four versions of the story. Yeah. Like I said, it felt like a binge watch, but it's a strange binge watch. I watched four versions of the story. I even watched the first episode of the Maya Hawk uh, PBS miniseries, oh. which was terrible. Sorry. Oh, sorry. No it good. Was, <laughs> no, it's no good. It's on Amazon Prime. You can try it. It's like they... they it, Greta Ger- after watching Greta Gerwig's version and the chronicle- chronological Maya Hawk version, I mean, she's fine. You get the girl from Three Billboards in there, but it's it's bad. It just doesn't work. All right, anyway, how often can, do, do you get to a new version of a property and then you can go back and watch three of the previous yeah. iterations of it and read the book? And the degree of difficulty for this script, man, for that reason alone. But, but come on it all for fresh the first time. Like, have you ever seen Treasure Island? You've seen Muppet Treasure Island. Yes. All right, well, what's a property that you've never seen anything of and there's a book and there's ten versions of it on... Uh, it's uh, rare. I, yeah, it's certainly rare. You're absolutely right. So I, you got sick, but this actually gave me the opportunity to dive into it all. So the wisdom here is we're new fans. Yeah. And if we were dead wrong on stuff or if you have different opinions, get at us because here I particularly want to get that feedback because I do think... You know, judging by what I learned from the Be Kind Rewind YouTube channel and how Isabella, you know, has a whole lifetime worth of study, how my mom really enlightened me throughout, you know, the to and from of our two movie watches together this past week, we can learn a lot from you. Uh, We tried to do our homework for this one, but bottom line is get at us with your thoughts on Little Women. As always, yeah, guys, uh, we want to hear from you, certainly. And when reality sucks, you can come watch these movies, all these different variations of Little Women with us. Uh, we are Mark, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year-round without the stuffiness. We will see you very, very soon. Golden Globes preview up next. See you.